about 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, uh, sometime in the 80s, I made a commitment that had a huge impact on my career. In fact, I could tell you my career really took off from that, uh, f- from fulfilling this commitment. The commitment was, uh, 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 well, complicated, but I agreed to do um, a petition uh, signature gathering for a friend. Um, and so I had to get up every morning and go to the train station and try and browbeat uh, cons- uh, 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 commuters into signing this petition. And so my career, uh, my career in anything but sales took off from that day <laughs> because I discovered I had no, no, no interest or aptitude for selling. And so uh, that, that is the occasion I credit to that. I, I was no good at it. And I think I got uh, 20 or 30 petitions over the course of about that many days. It seemed like maybe that many months. It went on forever. But um, but uh, I. I discovered, you know, I just don't have that particular gift. I'm not a, a natural-born salesperson, and if you are, well, God bless you. Um, but but it's hard for me to to approach strangers and talk to them. And and yet, I read this passage today, and I think to myself, Jesus seems to be talking about cover your ears, personal evangelism. Jesus is telling his disciples in this passage that they should be personal evangelize. Uh, they should be engaged in personal evangelism. And that's a problem for me because I'm not a salesperson, right? I don't know how to do selling. I don't know how to do it well. And I don't want to do it. And so, uh, like a lot of um, mainline Protestants, I take refuge in, in two of my favorite little fictions. I say to myself, well, I believe that I should preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And just, it never is necessary to use words when you do that. Now, if you stop and think about it, you know, I have to wonder what message I am preaching all the time. Uh, probably not the gospel most of the time. But, but that's one of the little places I go for refuge. The other one is I say, well, I have a very friendly church. I have a welcoming church. Now, let me be clear. I am all about having a welcoming church. Um, uh, I think that the church should always be asking itself, not just are we welcoming, but is there any way we could be more welcoming? We have, a, we have a role to carry out. We should be as welcoming as we possibly can. And I am so delighted to see so many guests here today. I would love, if you have impressions you can share with us, um, I, I would love you to contact me so that I can kind of get an outsider's viewpoint. The problem with being part of the church is you quit seeing things. You think, well, you know, it worked for me seven years ago, so it must be still welcoming. So I would appreciate it if you, if you are a guest today. Uh, please do, do feel that you can share your, your impressions with me. I would be grateful for them. But the point of the passage is that a welcoming church is not enough. And preaching the gospel just without words is not enough. Jesus is talking about personal evangelism. And so that's hard for those of us who don't consider ourselves salespeople. Is this just me? Am I the only one in here who doesn't see uh, themselves as gifted in evangelism? All right. Okay. What a bunch of liars. Okay. All right. So on top of all your other sins. Okay. All right. Well, well, okay. All right. If you seriously, if you are, if you are gifted in evangelism, great. See me after the service and give me some tips. But for those of us who are, who, who struggle with evangelism, um, my guess is that, is that one of the reasons you feel conflicted is not just that you read passages like this when you can't avoid it. Um, but also, 
you probably know people that you would like to evangelize. People that you wish knew Jesus, maybe, is a better way of putting it. That, that if I asked you to stop and think for a minute, you could say, yeah, yeah, I really wish that they did know Jesus. Maybe it's a, a, a husband or a wife. Maybe it's an ex-husband or an ex-wife. Um, maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren. But there's somebody that is on your heart and you wish that they knew Jesus. So you're conflicted. You don't feel like you're particularly skilled at evangelizing. Um, and yet there's people you wish knew Jesus. So how do we resolve this? I submit that Jesus is a really smart guy and he knew we would have this problem. And so in this passage we read today, Jesus tells us how to do evangelism right. So I'm going to go through it. And if you're good at this, Fine. You can just kind of check out for the next half hour or however long I take. Um, it's a painful topic. I don't know if that's going to make me quicker or slower, but, but you can check out. But if you don't feel gifted in evangelism, listen closely to what Jesus says and compare it to what you think evangelists do. So let's, um, let's go ahead and take a look at the scripture. It says, after this, pardon me, I'm having... Um, Allergy problems. So after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. After this, what is after this? Uh, in chapter 9, he had appointed 12. He appointed the, the 12 disciples we read about so much. Um, his inner group of 12 disciples. He appointed them and gave them a mission pretty similar to this. But time has passed and it is after this. So after this, he appointed 70. Now, 70 out of how many? We know at the very end of his ministry, Jesus had about 150 disciples. So perhaps as many as half of his of his disciples. Jesus sent not just a few selected leaders among the disciples, but the broad group of people in, in his among his followers. Jesus sent out a big chunk of what we would today call the church, um, his disciples. He sent a lot of them out to do a missionary work. We, we saw if you were here back in the spring, we had a whole series of talks about the um, the missional church and the idea that the church is sent into the world. In fact, the word mission means to be sent. So Jesus missioned them and he sent them on ahead of them in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. Now, pairs is such a big word. I could stop and camp out here all day, but instead I'm going to camp out next Sunday and talk about pairs. We're going to talk about pairs, but instead I want to talk about what comes after it says he sent them to every town and place where he himself intended to go. So I would say the first thing to remember about evangelism is that if there is that person or maybe people on your heart and when you close your eyes and you think, who do I know that I wish knew Jesus and you can picture somebody, Jesus has put that on your heart and he is calling you to go places he himself intends to go. He's not going to leave you hanging. Jesus intends to go where you have gone before. So Jesus intends to go. He says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That's another thing that may be a challenge to you. I think a lot of us have this idea that really there's not that many people who will respond to the gospel. There's a few, but but not many. The odds of me bumping into one are pretty small, so why bother? And besides, there's so many people in the church, uh, so many people who have gifts in this area, let them do it. And Jesus says exactly the opposite. He says the harvest is huge 
And there's so few workers to do it. Jesus tells us exactly the opposite of what we sometimes tell ourselves. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He says, go on your way. This is uh, in, in the biblical language. He says, get out of here. Go on your way. Get going. See, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Well, thank you, Jesus. That's just what I was hoping someone would do this morning is send me out like a lamb in the midst of wolves. Um, uh, what does he say there? Well, if you were here last week, we talked about the kingdom of God. We talked about the idea that Jesus is is uh, not simply about um, solving individual people's problems or making them into better people, that Jesus is how God is responding to the problem of evil, that that God has given us grace, that God has reconnected us to himself, but that he's not done because he will not rest until the whole world is redeemed from evil. So we talked about the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying here is this is a serious business and there will be opposition. It doesn't mean you won't have protection, but he says, no, this is the arena in which the battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world is fought. You are going out like lambs into the midst of wolves. This is a serious charge I'm giving you today. And he says, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one in the road. Uh, what, he, what he means there is don't stop to pack your bags. Don't worry about whether this belt goes with that hat. Uh, don't pack six suitcases. Um, go. Get out of here. He says, get on your way. This is an urgent task. So get going. Greet no one in the road. He doesn't say you can't be friendly. What he says is you just can't stop and dawdle. You can't stop and say, oh, how's the weather? You know, what's the road conditions like down there? You can't waste time. Get busy. And then beginning in verse five, he says, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Peace is the customary greeting in the Middle East. And in Arabic, it's salam. In, in uh, Hebrew, it's shalom. And it's just how you say hi. So he says, when you get there, then you greet people. Okay. Once you're at your destination, then greet people. Don't waste time in the meantime. Don't waste time on the road. Greet people once you get there. He says, remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. So what is he saying here? He's saying, stop and build a relationship. Okay. Find one person and invest in that relationship. Eat meals with them. Enjoy table fellowship with them. Don't stand in the corner shouting at cars as they drive by. Okay. He's saying, take time, camp out, spend some time building a relationship with people, not just taking a shotgun approach, hoping something will stick. He says, remain in the same house. Don't try and switch around from house to house. Don't try and go after everybody at once because you'll be successful with nobody. He says, build a relationship with somebody. He says, whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what's set before you. That's, again, the table fellowship. He says, cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So, how do you do that? You're saying, well, I'm sorry, preacher, but I didn't go to medical school. Well, um, neither did I. What Jesus is talking about here is, is curing the sick. How do we do that? Well, if we read this chapter, and I encourage you, take this home, read Read Luke 10, the entire uh, text of Luke 10, and see what he means 
Uh, but here's what I get out of it. If we read right after this, Jesus, uh, uh, the disciples come back and they say, uh, please do come in. I tell you, pastors love that. There's, there's more over here too, so. Somebody get a picture of the church? <laughs> We're not going to be happy until it looks like this every Sunday. All right. So, a few, a few verses later, halfway through chapter 10, the disciples come back and they say, they say, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. And Jesus answers them back. But if they say even the demons, what does that mean? That means that they were praying for people in Jesus' name and not just for small things, but for big things. Even demons submitted to them. That means that everything starting at hangnails going all the way up to, to demons that they submitted to Jesus, uh, they submitted in the name of Jesus. So they're, they're excited about the demons. Who wouldn't be? If I cast out a demon, I'd be pretty excited would be the least, uh, the smallest word you could apply. Um, but he says, even the demons, even the demons. So they prayed for them. What, is that, what does that actually look like? I, I think most of us can say to people, look, Jesus is waiting Jesus is eager to jump into your life and begin healing the broken parts. Uh, I think most of us have experienced that. And if you haven't experienced it, maybe that's what Jesus is talking about in pairs, that you don't have to be able to say from personal experience, this is what happened. You can say, there's a guy in my church, there's, there's a woman that I, that I meet with um, who has been down your path, and Jesus has healed the parts of her life that where she was hurting. So Jesus is saying, First of all, I think, cure them by prayer. But if we read through to the rest of chapter 10, Jesus talks about a case where somebody got medical care. So maybe Jesus is saying, help them out. If somebody's bleeding, you're not going to pray for them. You're going to put a Band-Aid on them, right? So maybe Jesus is saying, take care of them. Uh, Take them to the hospital. Pay their bills. And you're saying, well, I don't have that much money. Well, neither do I. But Jesus isn't telling you do this for everybody on the street corner. Jesus is saying, do this for somebody you have a relationship with. Help them in the way they need for people that you have a relationship with. Everybody who's a parent knows what that's like. I mean, kids aren't free. But we do what they need because we have a relationship with them. And Jesus is saying, see other people in that same light. I can invest in them because I have a relationship with them. So he says, cure the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. When they say, why are you doing this? You don't say, because I'm such a great person. You say, because I believe that God loves you. And I am trying to run after the things God loves. Because God loves you, I am trying my best to love you the way God would. So we say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And that's our role. Jesus says that's going to work some of the time. Some of the time, they're going to want to know Jesus better. And then he says, sometimes they won't. He says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. 
And then he closes. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Now, notice what he does not say. He doesn't say ratchet it up a little bit by giving them some threats. He says some people are not going to respond, but your role is to tell them about the kingdom of God coming near. Now, he closes talking to his disciples, to his disciples. He says, this is serious. If people persist in clinging to the kingdom of the world, then when the day comes that the kingdom of God is ultimately triumphant, it will not be pretty for them. He says, ultimately, the kingdom of God will win. And if you cling to the kingdom of the world, then you will lose. And that will not be pretty. He talks about Sodom, a town destroyed Genesis 19. It was famous. It was proverbial for a place where God acted to destroy sin. God sent fire and brimstone from heaven to destroy Sodom. Jesus says, it's serious. This is serious business. But he does not say, tell them about it. He doesn't say, go in and preach fire and brimstone. He says, tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Why does he do that? Maybe because he's thinking, you may not be the last person this person hears from. So you stick to the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, his disciples, I'm telling you that it's serious. But I do not authorize you to preach fire and brimstone in my name. In fact, go back to chapter 9. Look what, look what Jesus says to the disciples who preach fire and brimstone to Jesus. So Jesus says, it's serious business, but you preach the kingdom of God. So, what do we do with this? Well, I'll tell you, if you were able to conjure up in your mind somebody that you would like to meet Jesus, earlier on when I talked about that, if there's somebody, a a, a child, a husband, a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, parent, if there's somebody who does not know Jesus and you wish they did, then let me encourage you to try this. This is, this is not a Pastor Luke's proven remedy. This is not the thing that the guy on TV says. This is Jesus' approach to introducing people to him. He says, do these three things. He says, first of all, build a relationship. He says, secondly, help fix what's wrong. Not in the sense of fixing them, but in the help of bringing healing. Okay, help, help them find the healing they need for whatever is broken in them. And finally, he says, to let them know the reason you're doing it isn't just because you're a great person, but because God loves them. And you are trying to love the people that God loves. So, let me encourage you to do that. Try that this week. Take this home. Try this with the person that you're thinking about. Work on that relationship. Or if you've got a great relationship, then, then see what you can do to bring healing. And if the person is pretty well healed and they ask you, why are you doing this? Then tell them it's because of God. Imagine what the world would be like if this was the way the church had always approached the question of evangelism. Imagine what a different picture people would have of evangelists. If instead of talking about fire and brimstone and a God who is going to destroy the world, they did what Jesus said and talked about a God who loves and wants to bring healing. I'm struck how often the church disregards this. Even in our own mission work here at Jewel Lake, I was very convicted reading this. Um, how often do we try to help people without building a relationship first, where we just kind of uh, uh, cast our money off 
into the into the into the wild and hope that something it sticks to something good. How often do we try to provide help, but never follow up by explaining it's because the kingdom of God has come near? How many churches do the opposite, where they tell people about the kingdom of God coming near, but don't do anything to help? If we, as a church, if we as individual Christians would simply do what Jesus said, how much better would the world be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, many of us, I, I don't know how many I speak for, but I know I speak for myself. I am uncomfortable with evangelism. I see kids on bikes and I think, I'm glad that's not my religion. Lord, help me, help me be a better evangelist. Help me to apply in my own life the teaching of Jesus here in this passage. Help me to build relationships first. Help me to bring about healing in whatever way I can with the resources you've given me. And finally, Lord, help me to not take the credit for what only you can do. Help me to remind people that the kingdom of God has come near them. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.